Welcome to the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast, a podcast providing in-depth analysis and coverage of your favorite Milwaukee Brewers by Peter and David Go. Welcome to the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast. I'm your host, Peter Go. We are here to cover opening day, or opening weekend for the Brewers, rather. Uh, first couple games for the Brewers, first series uh, up against the Twins at the uh, American Family Field now. And we're excited to give a, a breakdown of those three games, uh, see what small takeaways we can take uh, from just this uh, short sample size that we do have in the early 2021 season. Uh, but David, any thoughts here before we jump into uh, looking at opening day? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to talk about some actual baseball games. I'd say that's the biggest thing. Even though the weekend didn't go very well, dropped two out of three, I'm still really excited that Brewers baseball is back and looking forward to continue to watch games and cover games for all you guys uh, over the next six months now. Uh, a lot of baseball, uh, we've 159 more games, so a lot of time, and I'm really excited. Yeah, uh, they say it's a marathon, so... Uh... We'll be here for the for the full marathon, and like I said, short sample size here into the season, just three games in, uh, a lot of games to be played left. Uh, but before we get into it, uh, what's today's trivia question? Uh, yeah, today's trivia question is, how many postseason appearances have the Brewers made in their franchise history? So dating back to 1969, when they were first formed as the Seattle Pilots, how many postseason appearances have they made? Of course, this year looking to hopefully make a run into the postseason. Um, but they have made it into the postseason now three straight years. Uh, so I guess I'll give it away that it's been um, more than three. Um, but beyond that, um, I guess we'll see how much you know about Brewers history, I guess, today. Um, the truth will be revealed. So how many postseason appearances have the Brewers made in their franchise history? And uh, today's random player of the day is a member of one of those former postseason teams from the Brewers, a pretty household name overall, especially in Brewers history, Cecil Cooper, uh, first baseman. He was outstanding in his career with the Brewers. He actually has the fourth most wins above replacement uh, by a position player in Brewers history. So the only three that are ahead of him are uh, Yount, Molitor, and Braun. Although I think according to fan graphs that uh, Lucroy might be ahead of him because of his outstanding framing numbers, uh, but Cooper had, I'd say, probably the probably on the Mount Rushmore of the Brewers, especially from a position player standpoint, maybe argue Sheets. Um, but anyway, Cecil Cooper had uh, an outstanding career with the Brewers. He was traded to the Brewers from the Red Sox in exchange for George Scott. And that was in the 1976-77 offseason and went on to have an 11-year run with the Brewers that included five all-star appearances uh, in 1980, he hit 352, uh, led the league in RBIs and total bases, also led the league in doubles in both 79 and 81, hit 320 and 81 and 82, 313 average and 205 hits. Uh, the Brewers actually had three guys who hit 200 hits in 1982. Uh, the top three hitters in their lineup, Molitor, Yount, and Cooper, also had 126 RBIs in 1983. Uh, with the Brewers in 11 years, 302 average, 470 slugging, 
944 RBIs, outstanding career. Cecil Cooper is today's random player of the day. And I, I don't think he gets enough credit from the Brewers as he deserves. I know he's not a Hall of Famer. I don't know that I necessarily say they should retire his number, but considering how much that Brewer fans, even maybe to some degree, like glorify Yount, um, I think, well, I think Molitor should be even a little bit more, but Cooper has almost forgotten at this point, uh, unless you're talking about that 82 team. Yeah, he certainly hasn't gotten the recognition that Yount, Molitor, and even Fingers have received. Of course, Fingers having his number retired uh, and, you know, Cooper, just by the sheer fact of playing 11 years with the Brewers, had much longer tenure with, with, with the Brewers than Fingers did. And you make the argument about the Hall of Fame, and I do understand that argument to some degree. But like you said, I think Cooper does get the short end of the stick uh, when when the Brewers do kind of uh, bring up the 82 Brewers. I mean, even like Gorman Thomas. You see Gorman Thomas uh, a lot more uh, publicly um, around – the Brewers, whether on deck or whatever, uh, just seems like maybe there's something there. The Brewers decided not to give the recognition that Cooper really deserves. But nonetheless, Cecil Cooper, very good 11-year stint with the Brewers. Uh, and really, like you said, one of one of the Brewers' greats. Do you think, I mentioned about how they uh, did obviously did not retire Cooper's number. Do you think his number should be retired by the Brewers? Uh, personally, I, I don't. Uh, I'm not, I'm one to be a little bit more, uh, stringent on retiring numbers. Like I'm, I'm not a fan of Raleigh Fingers' numbers being retired. I, I don't think he, it should be. Um, I, I obviously understand Yount's number being retired. I expect Ryan Braun's number to be retired. I wouldn't be in favor of necessarily re- retiring Cooper's number unless we are just strictly comparing it to what's already been retired. Because if we're looking at what's been retired, then if Raleigh Fingers' number is retired, then yes, I do think that Cecil Cooper's number is retired. But overall, I would say I don't think either of their numbers should be retired. What are your thoughts on that? I, I don't think Cooper should be retired. The thing that you also run into then is Ben Sheets also wore that number, and he might be the best pitcher in franchise history. Do you retire Ben Sheets' number? I don't think so, but uh, he had a pretty comparable career with Cooper. You're not really going to dual retire for two guys that are – they. I mean, they have excellent careers, but, but right. not Hall of Famers or not maybe not Brewers legends. Uh, like Yount was or like Molitor was. Um, even like if Fingers was retired, then do you retire Dan Plesak? Like, I mean, it seems kind of silly because Dan Plesak's right. number uh, shouldn't really be retired. But, uh, but I mean, he was a better reliever with the Brewers than Fingers was. Right. Fingers sets the president uh, very low. And if, if we just strictly look at that, like you said, then does Plesak make it in or even- when Josh Hader retires? I mean, Hader, I, I would be surprised if Hader retires and he doesn't have a better relief career with the Brewers than Fingers. So then we're throwing in Josh Hader. And, you know, if, if you're, again, if you're talking about Fingers having his number retired, then does Ben Sheets, because like you said, Ben Sheets is arguably the best Brewers pitcher in franchise history. So if Fingers' number is retired, then Sheets' number should really be retired. So I think Fingers just kind of opens up the doors well, to a lot of, of other people because of his shorter career with the Brewers. Well, and even if you make the Hall of Fame argument, so Fingers pitched like four or five years with the Brewers. What about Ted Simmons? He's being inducted to the Hall of Fame this year. Uh, he had a he had an outstanding career. Most of most of his career came with St. Louis, but he did have a few very solid years with the Brewers. Um, outside of his negative two wins above replacement season in I think it was eighty four, um, but he was he was really good in eighty one, eighty two, eighty three. Um, I feel like you're kind of towing that line then where 
I think if Simmons gets inducted to the Hall of Fame in 1992, maybe they retire Ted Simmons' number. And if Raleigh Fingers was inducted now, they probably wouldn't. It's more of just a timing thing. And also mm-hmm. one thing that I was thinking about is they've had that sign-up for Euchre 50 years in baseball. They've had that sign-up for 15 years now. I think he's in his <laughs> 65th year in baseball. I mean, they've had that sign-up as long as I can remember. Uh, so are they – they don't have number 50 retired for Bob Euchre, but you wonder, are they going to retire a number for him? Uh, I was thinking – I know they retired number one for Seelig. Uh, could they retire number 99 for Euchre kind of as a play on uh, him being last or even number zero maybe – just to be a little bit, uh, a little bit kind of funny with um, just the way that Euchre carries himself and jokes about himself, um, or uh, maybe the number two hundred for his career batting average. Um, <laughs> there, there are a number of things that they could do for Euchre. Of course, they already have two statues of him, uh, but but especially with Euchre, I mean, he's eighty-seven years old now, probably yep. nearing retirement in the next year or two. Uh, I would, I would think that he would be deserving of a number retirement, even though he wasn't a player for the Brewers. I I 100% agree with you on that. I don't think there's any question that he's more deserving than any of those guys that we talked about. Sheets, Cooper, Fingers, any of those guys. I think he certainly deserves uh, the the number retired. And like you said, they could even do, I I would be perfectly fine if they retire 99 or double zero or something, 200, like you said. Uh, Any of those I'd be perfectly fine with. And they don't even mess with current players or future numbers, really. Um, Franklin Stubbs, war number double zero. That's right. That's right. People may be confused about whether the number is being retired for Uh Stubbs or you. Yeah, well, I think Curtis Lascanic war number zero also. I I believe that was right. Somebody back in that time. Yeah, that sounds right. Somebody in that time period, I know war number zero. But anyways, I I do think that Euchre deserves it. I I would expect them to do it. Um, I'll be surprised if they don't. Because, like you said, they've they've shown honor to Euchre, rightfully so, and and hopefully we do see that going forward. Mm-hmm. And especially uh, so pretty, kind of, pretty soon, given his um, rapidly um, closing career. Uh, right. But I would I would hope they do something like that to honor Bob Euchre. Absolutely. So moving, uh, shifting gears here, kind of uh, taking a one eighty. Uh, just wanted to briefly bring up. Uh, Tonight's game on a ESPN Monday or not Monday night Sunday night uh, Angels White Sox game good game going on there tonight we're recording this around 10 p.m. Central Time uh, so that game's still going on but just want to talk about Shohei Otani who was the game starting pitcher also batting uh, second I believe for the Angels and uh, t- topped over 100 uh, on the mound uh, and then in his first at bat in the in the two hole got a 97 mile an hour fastball at the top of the zone. And uh, knocked it out of put a good swing on the ball, knocked it out of the ballpark. Uh, four fifty to to right center, hundred twelve miles an hour, I believe, exit velocity. One fifteen, okay, yeah, one hundred fifteen miles an hour off the bat. Uh, the sound of the ball off the bat was crazy. It was it, that was so maybe clear. the most insane sound yeah. I have heard on a video off the yeah. bat. Yeah, yeah, I I just felt like we had to bring that up uh, on today's podcast because you know. He was your pick for AL MVP, Otani, that is. Um, and I mean, he's on pace to win MVP. Exactly. Two home runs already. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and yeah, showcased 101. Uh, only one other pitcher today threw 101 miles an hour. And Otani also has the highest exit below of any hitter. Um, I mean, he's just a, a unique talent. I, I'd probably say he's the best two-way player we've seen since Brooks Kieschnick. Um, I, I, I would say, I mean, I, I don't know. To fill. 
Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if you you can make the case that he was better than Brooks Kieschnick, um, or or maybe pinch runner Dave Bush uh, late in games sometimes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, they were they were up there. Remember when Micah Owings was with like the D backs? I think it was. Yep. He he was like a pinch hitter sometimes too. But uh, this is I think this is like one of the most unique situations that um, that baseball has had uh, as far as a player, like a unique skill set because. There have been, I mean, there are like pitchers who can hit the ball hard, like Madison Bumgarner. He'll hit home runs sometimes. Um, Even or, Gallardo. Yeah, I mean, they're strong guys, and a lot of them hit when they were younger. But to see somebody like Otani, who's uh, one of the better hitters across the league, and is uh, maybe, I mean, some feel like some people are going to come after me for this, but has the most talented arm in the major leagues as far as a pitcher. I mean, he throws 101. He's got a disgusting splitter that's like 92, 93. He's got a really good slider. He throws a curveball also. Uh, and, I mean, I know he's been hurt a lot. Um, but that doesn't have to do with talent. I mean, uh, is he the most talented pitcher? I think I think he might be. I'm not saying he's the best, but he might be right. the most talented pitcher. I mean, if he focused on pitching, I think he could be a Cy Young Award winner. I think if he focused on just hitting, he could be – uh, for sure, an all-star level outfielder. Um, of course, he's not going to focus on one when he's really good at both. But, um, but I think this is a really good chance too for MLB to market and um, try to grow the game by by showcasing Shohei Otani to the rest of the world. Yeah, and watching that game uh, tonight here with Otani in that two-hole, uh, followed by Mike Trout and Anthony Rendon. I mean, sheesh, as a pitcher facing that. You got to go through, imagine an inning there. You got to go through Otani, Trout, and Rendon. Uh, just a crazy uh, three bat. I, I don't, there, I mean, I don't think there's a better. 57-year-old Albert Pujols. After exactly. That to Justin Upton. Who no, somehow... Upton. I think, I thought I, Upton was before. Oh, was he? Okay. I think yeah, Upton's at least like today. 33 or something. Yeah, I know. 34. He's, He's like a year he, older he, than he, he ages at half the, Yeah, he ages half the speed of everybody else. I know. I know. It's, it's crazy. Um, but... Uh, but yeah, their lineup, their lineup, they it's, I wouldn't, I don't know if I'd say it's top heavy because they've got a pretty good lineup. They just don't have a lot of depth, but, um, uh, but they're a fun team for sure. I was, I, I bought MLB TV for the month and I made sure to watch some of the Angels White Sox because those are two exciting teams, even though Angels haven't been able to make the postseason. Also, um, the at bat after Otani's home run, Mike Trout came up 3-0 count and he gets, um, he gets the pitcher throws a ball. But Mike Trout swings on a 3-0 count. First time that Mike Trout swung at a ball on 3-0 since 2016, uh, according to MLB <laughs> Random Stats. Uh, Jeremy Frank over there on Twitter. So I thought that was a great, uh, great stat since 2016. And also, and also Shohei Otani is the first, uh, first pitcher who hit that high in the lineup since I think Babe Ruth, and the first pitcher who wasn't hitting eighth or ninth to hit a home run in the game since Babe Ruth. So um, he is doing, um, okay, maybe you could say best two ways since Babe Ruth, maybe not Brooks Kieschnick. Um, But either way, Otani is a a unique one-of-a-kind talent that I'm so excited to watch, not only this year, but he's only 26, 27. So uh, in in future years too, I'm really excited to watch Otani. Yeah, excited to see Otani, what he can do this year going forward. And excited to see if the Angels can come out of the West finally, put some things together. Um, but just wanted to sh- highlight uh, Otani's crazy uh, start 
and uh, at bat, really. Uh, so it looks like he uh, has been pulled from the game. Four and two-thirds, one run. Uh, and like you said, batting in that that two-hole in that dangerous top of the order with the Angels. So we'll uh, keep an eye on Otani as uh, he tries to make a case for AL MVP and AL Cy Young. How about, what if he won those, both of those awards? I, I know we've already talked about Otani too much on this podcast, but uh, <laughs> that would be that would be something special. So, oh, yeah. Anyways, uh, well, opening day has uh, come and passed. It was a very memorable game. Uh, let's just really dive into it. Of course, as I'm sure all of you are well aware, Brewers did win opening day. Uh, big comeback victory uh, with a win in extra innings. Walk off uh, hard ground ball from Orlando Arcia. Hard, yeah. And the Brewers, yes, yeah. yes, hard into the ground. Uh-huh. Uh, Brewers took this one 6-5, but an exciting game. Uh, before we get into uh, the nuts and bolts of the games, David, your reactions from opening day. Yeah, they overall didn't have a great performance leading up to that ninth inning, and they really received a decent amount of help from the Twins. Alex Colome, of course, made the terrible decision to throw to second, especially up by three. That runner doesn't matter if he scores. It just makes it a two-run game. So that's why you got to go to first, even though I know it was a bad throw. Um, and that wasn't, like, the worst thing because um, because – even if, like, if it was a throw right on the bag, he might get him. But the really, you just should have thrown to first. And that's a pretty easy, easy decision, a pretty obvious decision to make. Uh, Kepler's, Kepler's fly ball that went in and out of his glove, I don't know if I'd necessarily fault him for that because he got a good read, good jump on it. And I don't know that every right fielder makes that play or even gets to that ball. So he got to the ball, and he's a pretty good defensive outfielder, and then just went in and out of his glove as he jumped. I think he thought he was closer to the wall than he actually was, and that's probably why it ended up falling. Travis Shaw, huge moment already early in his return to Milwaukee. That was really good to see. Uh, it seemed like the offense clicked at the end there. And then, like you said, Orlando Arcia, uh, he, if he would have hit the ball harder, Kane doesn't score. Uh, but, of course, he just hit a little chopper. Although, RC actually had a 101-mile-an-hour ground out uh, in in Sunday's game today. Huh. Um, I It was just like a routine grounder to short. But uh, but he wasn't able to get the job done. Kane slid in. I was so happy. I go to school in Minnesota, so I was on a bus full of Twins fans. And <laughs> safe to say that they were not very happy with me in that moment, although they did kind of get the best of me uh, later on in the series. Yeah, they weren't too happy when I said that uh, Twins are already in October form. Uh, <laughs> of course, Twins haven't won a playoff game since uh, 04 and uh, 16 straight losses. But uh, they weren't too happy with that one. They, they said I came at them a little too hard, but that's okay. That's what sports are for. Exactly. One thing I wanted to note uh, that kind of went under the radar because the Brewers did end up ultimately coming back and, and taking this one was, uh, I believe it was in the third uh, Brewers were making some noise, bases loaded. Travis Shaw walks uh, to bring in a run, moving Yelich to third, Garcia to second. Um, and then eventually the single where Jason Lane decided to send Travis Shaw uh, from second, I believe. And Shaw stood no chance. It was it was just sort of a no-brainer. Uh, of course, Jason Lane, this is his first year as a Brewers third base coach. We've seen Eddie Cedar there for a long time. Uh, but kind of a boneheaded move, really, if we're being honest, to send Shaw I mean, he was still maybe three steps from home plate. Didn't even bother sliding. Uh, anything, any, anything you want to share about about that uh, play in the game early? I mean, I think if if he waved him home and Shaw had been running the whole time, it would have made a little bit more sense. Or if, if there were two outs, but because of the where the ball was, Shaw didn't have a, a great read on. It. He got a decent read, but it's not like Shaw was already rounding third by the time the ball dropped. So then Shaw expected that he was going to be held up. 
And then when he when he realized he was going to be sent home, he had to get going again. And by the, that time, he had already basically slowed down as he was rounding the bag. And then, yeah, he was out by a lot. Uh, I think that's just something that Jason Lane will kind of learn as he uh, takes the reins a little bit more at third base and adjusts to that. Because, yeah, I mean, I don't I don't think we can really like get extremely mad at Jason Lane. He has to make a decision that he's never made before as a third base coach uh, and is a tough decision. And yeah, it was pretty obvious at the time that he should have held him up. But we also have an easier view just sitting watching from our TV screens. Um, I remember when I was playing baseball this summer, actually, I was I was DHing. And I wasn't really doing much, so I asked my coach if I could be one of the base coaches because we didn't have anyone out there. And he's like, sure, why don't you just be third base coach? We weren't doing any signs or anything. And I go out there, and it's uh, first and second with nobody out. First play, single to left field. And it's literally the first pitch that I'm out there. I got to decide if I'm going to wave him home or not. I held him up, which is a good thing because I think he would have been hosed at home. And then next guy hits a two-run single, and I waved him home, and he scored. So uh, <laughs> I did do pretty well. I was really nervous when I saw the ball get through to left field. Um, and I had never, I had never done that before as a third base coach. It is a little bit more of a difficult decision to make uh, when you're actually out there, but still, of course, the wrong decision for Jason Lane to make. Yeah. I remember my first game out as a third base coach uh, telling my, my runners, I think it was first and second, two outs. I told them it was three, two count and we were going on, uh, on the pitch and, uh, turns out it was only a 2-2 count but luckily my runners were smarter than I was and were actually aware of that so they didn't go um but told me later after I realized that I had made I was the one who made the mistake so I, I didn't have any uh errors uh sending guys but definitely would have been my fault had that happened good thing my uh, players were, had their head in the game more than I did yeah in, the, and in my brief stint at third base coach <laughs> yeah I thought also that um, I mean, of course, then Kane, he started on second and then that single in the top in the bottom of the 10th and Jason Lane decided to hold up, uh, hold up Kane at third. I thought that was a good move, especially with nobody out. You've got I agree. coming up. I know RC is not a great hitter. Of course, it worked yeah. out. Kane didn't get a great read on the ball. I thought that was a really good, really smart play to hold him up. Uh, and I was glad that he did that. Yeah, with nobody out, I, I thought that was the right move. I was glad to see that he did that. Like you said, give RC a chance to knock him in. Uh, obviously, he did that. And I also don't want to overlook the the Brewers uh, pitching, especially Josh Hader in the 10th inning there. Um, with the runner on second to start the inning, striking out the side. Uh, did Hader 100? Did he touch 100, right? 100, yeah, 99.8. So if you count that okay. as 100 miles an hour, of course it rounds up. But also even beyond just striking out the side, he struck out Luis Arias, who has a career 7.8% K rate. Will yeah. Evans Astudillo is a career 4% K rate. We're not yeah. talking about striking out Joey Gallo and Chris Davis back-to-back. We're talking about striking out two of the best hitters at just putting the ball in play. And they weren't able to do that against Hayter, just throwing all fastballs. I mean, Hayter yeah. might have been the best that I've seen him pitch maybe since, uh, since the wild card game against the Cubs. Uh, was that was in 20 or not wild card game but game 163 when he made Daniel Murphy look like he was playing yes. like a little leaguer or something yeah. um, <laughs> still my favorite at bat I've ever seen oh yeah oh yeah um, yeah but hater was, hater was so good yeah hater was just amped up like crazy um probably had a lot to do with the fans being back that was that was fun to see uh the I mean the ninth inning and the tenth inning were so much fun to watch um, I wish I was at the game watching it, but I was watching it uh, uh, on my own, of course. And ninth inning was really fun to see that comeback. Like you said, Travis Shaw, that 
I just felt so happy for him as a Brewer fan, as somebody that wants to see him succeed. And then Hayter just absolutely dominating in the 10th. And then ultimately the Brewers uh, knocking in a run. Uh, not to uh, get too in-depth, but what do you think about um, with the runner on second and extra innings? Do you think that we're going to see a lot of teams bunting that runner over, either on the visiting side or the home side, especially if you're the home team and the other team didn't score? I, I personally am in favor of that usually depending on how the lineup is but usually so in the brewers case uh, i would have bunted over um i'm forgetting who do you remember who came up after kane was it narvaez narvaez yeah okay yeah i i have no clue how good of a bunter narvaez is it's not like every single major leaguer is good at bunting but I they, should, they should have had many many pina out there <laughs> well was maldonado was i mean maldonado, maldonado, yeah. maldonado yeah Oh, but I mean, I feel like the backups are usually better at bunting. Um, at my college, team, we, had better pinch, to do. we had a pin, guy pinch hit just to bunt, and they took him out of the game. Yep. He's a good bunter. Um, yep. But I, yeah, I personally would have bunted uh, in that situation. And I would even as a visiting team, usually, not always. I mean, if you have Christian Yelich up, no, I wouldn't bunt. But, uh, but in general, yeah, I would probably bunt and try to get that run in because you increase your chances of scoring one run in the inning if you do bunt. I know your chances of scoring more than one run are lower, but especially if you're the home team in the Brewer scenario, it doesn't matter if you score more than one run if you had a walk-off home run or something. So why not try to increase the chances even a little bit and have a couple have a chance to drive him in a ground ball, fly ball, uh, and then another maybe he gets out, but you still have a chance to drive him in with a single. Yeah, I, I think as we've seen uh, the bunting scrutinized more across baseball, I think we, we're, we're continuing to see a lot less bunting, but I think that will eventually come back. Um, and I, I'm just more curious to see as a new rule comes out, I'm just curious to see how managers decide to strategize around it. So certainly that's something to, to be seen as we go forward, both for the Brewers and the rest of the major leagues. Uh, so again, Brewers winning opening day, a, a 10 inning walk-off comeback, very exciting game. Really fun to watch. Brewers winning that one 6-5. to five. Um, And Josh Hader getting the win on that one. Game two, uh, another very, I would say, exciting game to watch. Corbin Burns uh, looking like 2020 Corbin Burns didn't skip a beat. Uh, he was just out there dominating. He and uh, Bar Barrios were basically just trading blows. Uh, no hitting uh, both teams until uh, the seventh inning when Byron Buxton took a, a cutter. You were mentioning this to me, cutter outside corner and uh, basically put a good swing on the ball. Um, but a, a good pitch by Burns, really. Uh, not exactly a mistake that Burns made, but Buxton just sitting on a pitch, got a barrel on it and knocked it out of the park to uh, break up the no-hitter. Burns uh, taken out of the game right away uh, by Council. And Brewer's offense, just no answer for Rios, who looked outstanding. Uh, anything you'd add to this game uh, in, in game two as Brewers fell 2 nothing. Well, first I want to apologize because I saw that both pitchers were throwing no hitters and I was driving. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't advocate for live streaming Brewer games while driving, but I was on the freeway and on I-94 eastbound, there's like no traffic at whatever it was, 8 p.m. or something. So I just like quick turned on the live stream and I was mostly listening to it and I turned it on, Buxton's up, first pitch, home run. I ruined it because... Um, because of course everyone knows that when there's a no hitter going, you got to keep what you, whatever you've been doing, you can't change it. And I decided to turn on the live stream and I was the one who ruined it. So I want to apologize for that. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, it wasn't a bad pitch by Burns. It wasn't a mistake. 
Uh, he made a good pitch. Buxton just, I mean, he hit the ball. Yeah. He, he had been sitting on a cutter and then For sure. put, yeah, put a good swing. Yeah. You don't, you don't <laughs> accidentally, you don't accidentally hit a 90, oh, it was a 95 no. mile an hour cutter on the black down and away uh, out of the park unless you're sitting on that pitch. So yeah. Or you're Buxton, Jose Tuve who was sitting on a Chapman fastball, but then got a slider and still hit a home run supposedly in yes. the ALCS. Yes, um, yes. But, we, but also, we'll go saw, there. We'll definitely go there. Yeah, I also saw a stat yesterday from ESPN that both Jose Barrios and Corbin Burns had 11-plus strikeouts and had not allowed a hit through six innings. Uh, and it was the first time that that's ever happened, where two pitchers, 11-plus strikeouts, no hits through six innings. So, um, I mean, an outstanding pitcher's duel. Unfortunately, I didn't watch it. Uh, although I was getting texts from both Twins fans and Brewers fans that C.B. Buckner was doing a terrible job behind the plate. So uh, at least Twins and Brewers fans can agree on one thing. Yeah, he was very inconsistent. Uh, a lot of pitches out of the zone, calling strikes. Yeah, I, I don't think he did a good job. Uh, kind of a, a, a freak incident at the end of the game. Uh, actually, right as Yelich was batting, who ended up being the final out of the game, fouled off a pitch, um, just so happened to, to foul tip. Uh, into the catcher's thigh, bare thigh, which obviously doesn't feel good in and of itself. But then it popped up right under C.B. Buckner's uh, uh, face mask and caught him right in the neck or in the throat, really. So uh, ricocheted off the catcher's thigh right into uh, Buckner's throat. So he was down. And uh, Brewers head athletic trainer Dave Yeager came out just to check on him. Um, Seemed relatively serious. I mean, I saw one of the umpires going in to get dressed if needed. Uh, Ultimately, he ended up being okay, but right at the end of it, uh, Dave Yeager uh, actually collapsed um, right right there on the field. Uh, eventually, walked off on his own, but ended up uh, having to become having to be, uh, be hospitalized as a result. So, getting kind of a, a freak injury there, both for Buckner and Dave Yeager. Uh, sounds like uh, he will make a full recovery. Not exactly sure um, what that was, but again, sort of a weird ending to the game. And glad that everybody was okay. It sounds like after that. Um, but again, Twins taking that one, two, I think Column A coming on, uh, getting a cleaning in the ninth to take care of the Brewers in that one, uh, which which set up the rubber match for Sunday. Uh, unfortunately, Brewers falling 8-2. to two. Uh, David, your first game back at uh, now American Family Field. So uh, I'll let you uh, give us a brief rundown on, on the game. Yeah, overall, not a very good game. Adrian Hauser actually was okay. Um, I couldn't really see like super well about like pitch sequencing or um, how he looked, but uh, he overall did a pretty good job against the Twins offense. He went five innings, two runs, only a couple strikeouts, but limited the walks, got a decent amount of weak contact and still pretty effective with the sinker, fastball, curveball combination. He said that he's been working on really utilizing the four seam fastball and curveball combination to try to make his sinker more effective. Um, so working the fastball and the curveball off each other and then throwing in the sinker, which is probably his best pitch. Uh, so Hauser overall had a pretty good start. And then Rasmussen came in and unfortunately just didn't have it. Um, Keston Hero's defense at first base didn't help. You could tell he's still inexperienced and he's also just bad at throwing a baseball. Um, I mean, uh, first guy got on, I think it was a walk and then grounder to Hira should be a double play. I mean, it would be a close play at first, but should be. And then he throws it high to, uh, to um, I think it was Wong at second. And uh, as a result, by the time he comes down 
runner safe or no, it was Urias. Um, and then it's first and second. And then um, there was a later in the inning, there was a really nice pick that Colton Wong made at second. It was a really nice play actually. And then I think Hewer wasn't expecting Wong to make the play. So then Hira like rushed over to the bag and then like caught the ball, looked back and stuck his foot on the bag. And then as a result, almost got stepped on by the runner. Uh, and then um, I think the next batter is a, a little dribbler. And then he went to try to scoop the ball. And um, then the throw took him like behind the bag or past the bag. But then instead of like avoiding the runner, he went right into the baseline and got barreled over by the runner just I think it's inexperienced showing off a little bit at first base and that was all in Rasmussen's inning Rasmussen threw Rasmussen threw like 35 pitches that inning I think and he threw like as many balls as he did strikes he didn't look very good um, and they allowed four runs that inning it became a 6-1 ball game after that JVJ hit a, a rocket home run uh, I think it left the bat at 106 to dead center um, just a line drive all the way and got carrying because he hit it so well. Lynn Bloom didn't really have it either. He walked a couple guys to begin his outing. Uh, he was able to escape with no runs in two innings. Eric Yardley finished off, but by that point, the game was really over. Um, I thought overall the game, there were a lot of strikeouts. And uh, like in the second half of the game, like Keston here, he really especially did not look good in today's game and hasn't really looked good in the series. But overall as a whole, the offense – really didn't look very good, especially later on in the game against some of their bullpen arms, Cody Stashak, uh, Jorge Alcala. Uh, overall, Brewers' offense didn't impress today. Yeah, you mentioned Lynn Bloom uh, and Rasmussen coming in relief. You said Rasmussen struggled. Lynn Bloom actually going two innings, two runs uh, in, in his uh, outing today. But yeah, neither of those guys are really having it. And yeah, once, once the four-run inning, that's a completely different game. Goes from a 2-1 game. Uh, to a 6-1 game. Well, and ultimately and even Brewers... actually, when they were down 2-1 right before Rasmussen came in, they had bases loaded for Avisail Garcia, and then he struck out. And uh, that was a big threat because if they if Garcia comes through and even it's a single or even gets walked or hit by pitch, a tie game, it's a much different game. I think Rasmussen still comes in either either way, but it changes the complexion of the game. So I think that was also big. They didn't really... Uh, they weren't really able to come through with runners in scoring position. Uh, so overall, not a good showing. Yeah, and you mentioned here as defense. I also noticed just watching him and some of his at-bats in the series doesn't quite seem to be his uh, 2019 self. And again, this is just a couple games, but noticed a couple pitches that, you know, couple hanging breaking balls or fastballs that he was behind on. Even I heard Bill Schroeder making some similar comments of, you know, here it doesn't usually miss that a uh, couple fastballs that he was just laid on. Um, and rather than, you know, hitting him a line drive for a base hitter, a double in the gap, ended up just following off pitches. And then also had a couple of hanging breaking balls that he either took or um, just wasn't able to do too much. So he's still looking for his first hit of the season. And again, this is just three games in, not trying to overreact here, but Hira, you know, has looked shaky defensively, which isn't too big of a shock and hasn't quite looked himself offensively. And, and he's a bat that the Brewers really will need to pick up uh, really pretty pretty sizable expectations over there at first base, hoping to bounce back uh, after last year, but really don't want to read into too much. Um, like I said, three games in, uh, nothing too much to worry about. Narvaez did have a pretty good series, did have the the only hit uh, for the Brewers in game two in that uh, game against uh, Burrios. Uh, but overall, like you said, bats uh, didn't look great this series, uh, hoping to bounce back. And uh, yeah, so that's kind of our, our recap for, 
uh, opening weekend again, Brewers falling two out of three from the Twins. And, and I mentioned, David, that you were at Sunday's game on Easter. Uh, what was your experience at American Family Field, just with it being, you know, an unprecedented season and uh, all the changes that they have going on uh, at American Family Field? Of course, only 10,666 fans uh, in attendance on Sunday's game. So what was your experience like? Uh, anything that was uh, noteworthy here to share with our listeners? Mm-hmm. Well, actually, first of all, um, at what point does these unprecedented time, unprecedented times become precedented? Because like this is the second baseball season now we've had under COVID. <laughs> so is, shouldn't it now be at least to some degree precedented? Um, that'd be my question in, re- in response to you. But, um, but yeah, there were, there were about 10, 10, 10, 5, 10,500 fans. Um, although I think there was a scoreboard glitch because the last two options for the guests, the attendance were 10,000 and 992. Um, so clearly there weren't <laughs> 992 fans. I, they must have meant 9,000 or something. Uh, but it at times it felt like it was very sparse. At times it felt like it was – at times it felt like there were more because there were guys – there were fans that were really loud, um, especially because it's opening weekend, everybody's excited. Um, but there were also times where it just felt really empty, especially when the Twins were scoring. It felt really empty. And even where we were sitting uh, – the uh, me and uh, my dad was with me also uh, were there was us and then there's nobody directly in front of us nobody directly behind us and nobody for like four seats next to us or the seats next to in front or behind us so we really there was like pretty much no risk or I mean the close everyone was wearing a mask even though the roof was open um, and they they event services and uh, security made sure to make sure you had your mask on uh, the closest you came to other people was if they were walking up the aisle. But again, people walking outside with a mask on, uh, sort of close to you up an aisle. I I did not feel at risk at all. And even in line, you, of course, you're a little bit more closed in the concourse, but the lines were pretty spaced out. There weren't that many people on the concourse. Even in the team store, I was in the upper level team store and there were very few people that were allowed in at one time. So. I mean, it's not a very different experience from, say, shopping at Walmart. In fact, maybe even more more safe in that environment. So as far as the COVID procedures were, I thought that it was a, a pretty good setup. Uh, and they did a good job of making fans feel safe, uh, especially for fans who may be um, a, little bit, a little bit more concerned about going to a larger crowd right now still with, with COVID lingering. Um, and then as far as some of the changes around the ballpark, of course, the, the biggest one, American Family Field is the name. And that's about as big of a change you can make to a ballpark um, other than replacing it, the ballpark itself. Uh, the signage is everywhere, unsurprisingly. I mean, uh, it's not a Miller Park anymore. And even on the freeways, the signs say American Family Field. Uh, they also redid Bernie's Chalet. I don't know if uh, some of you saw that online. They were doing that. Uh, they also, I think, replaced Bernie's slide. They didn't advertise this at all. But it's still a slide, and it's still the same shape, but it was a little different color. It was like a cream color, and to me, it looked kind of dull. I didn't really like the look of it uh, instead of the yellow slide that they had. I know it's not that big of a deal, but uh, but it is one change that they made. Also, they took out some of the left field bleachers and put in a Miller Lite party deck. And uh, they also, I think in right field, instead of the dew deck, it's now the Kugels deck. So there were some minor changes like that. Uh, Also, one thing that was just a little bit strange was watching the Brewers play in their new uniforms because the only time we've seen those uniforms have been on TV last year and then 
Uh, the first couple of games, of course, I wasn't there. Some fans were, but it was a little bit strange to see that. Uh, and as long as I can remember, they've always had those like white or navy wheat logo uniforms. And to have the blue pinstripe uniforms uh, looked just a little bit different, a little bit strange. Um, and personally, I actually think that the pinstripe uniforms should be their primary homes. I like those a lot better than the cream. The creams are fine, but I like the white pinstripes better. But it was nice to see because I do like these uniforms a lot better than the wheat ones. But overall, I had a very good experience other than the game at American Family Field uh, on Sunday. Well, first things first, uh, I think we should devote at least one episode towards uh, the, the new Bernie slide, different color. I mean, that's a, that's a, yeah. that's a major, that's major difference. <laughs> well, and also the, the, I think it's an MLB rule, but they're not allowing people on the field outside of players, coaches, and staff members. So that's why the racing, I think that's why the racing sausages are not on the field. So they had a lot Got of pre-recorded it. ones, uh, kind of like they used to do on the scoreboard back in the day in the 80s. Um, I was not around for that. But instead, they like live stream them racing on the, the bridge that leads out to the ballpark. Uh, so it was fine, except that the sausages had to avoid those little like pole things that they have coming out of the <laughs> ground. Uh, so I was really hoping nobody tripped over them. I was really hoping for like a, a Zoom sausage race. I think that would be a, a better way to do it. Yeah. Uh, it is kind of weird that they, that they have the sausages there at the stadium, but no traditional sausage race, which mm-hmm. is a And also, it was day. strange. Oh, Rob Edwards is no longer the public address announcer. I forget who they replaced him with, but that is different. Um, and Ryan Braun's not on the team, so we're not missing out on his Ryan Braun call. The, that he would the do. Uh, or closest Ooh, thing to boy. the... Yeah, the, the closest yeah, thing to the Darren Jeter call. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he had some iconic ones. Uh, he considering did. Considering he was just a, a Milwaukee one. But also, Bob Kozlowski is back for God Bless America. That is a, yes. some very big news. Um, yep. So, yeah, just some familiar things at the ballpark that were really nice and really refreshing after a long time without going to physically going to a Brewer game. Yeah, good to, good to see. And, uh, I'll, I'll share this story briefly. I was supposed to be at the game Saturday, and uh, I ended up uh, going in to buy Brewers individual tickets when they, they were available, I believe, a couple of weeks ago, and somehow accidentally bought games, uh, tickets for Sunday's game. So that would be uh, how David ended up going, thanks to my Easter plans. And uh, I uh, otherwise would have been there for Saturday's game, although, you know, would have been a fun game, like you said, just to get back out there. Of course, Brewers lost that one as well, but... I'm excited to get to a game as soon as I can. And uh, thanks for that update on uh, Bernie slide color uh, name changes on the decks. Big, big news for for the Brewers and really all of Major League Baseball. But uh, nonetheless, uh, before we head out here, anything else that you want to share about what's going around in baseball? Uh, at, actually, before we forget our trivia question answer as well, before we head out. Uh, yeah, the, the Astros actually swept the A's in a four-game series. They've looked really good so far, much to the dismay of everyone in the baseball world, except for <laughs> Zach Grinky fans, because how can you not love Zach Grinke? Um, He's still on the Astros. Also, the Orioles destroyed the Red Sox in their three-game series at Fenway. Um, Bruce Zimmerman, who is the Orioles' number three starter, who probably 0% of you have heard of, um, said, we're just getting started. This is just the start of the Orioles' magical season. Um, so bold prediction there coming in from the Orioles. They also have uh, number two starter Matt Harvey on their team. So uh, if we were playing in 2014, they might have a pretty good roster. 
uh, with with Matt Harvey and Chris Davis. Um, Adam but, Jones. Yeah, but unfortunately, uh, we are not playing in 2014. Uh, also, Otani actually exited after an awkward collision today at home plate. I think he's covering home on a wild pitch and then huh. uh, got taken out by the runner. Uh, apparently, he's fine. He was a little bit shaken up after it. Uh, not sure if they removed him because of an injury related to that or they said he was doing fine, just some general soreness after. So that's good to hear, especially given his lengthy injury history and just the difficulties of keeping a two-way player healthy like Otani. Uh, and then as far as the NL Central goes, Cubs dropped their first game against the Pirates of the series, ended up taking two more. Reds took two out of three from the Cardinals. So Brewers are technically tied for third, but who really cares? They're one and two right now, sitting a game behind the Cubs and Reds. Also, Reds and Cardinals got into it a little bit. Castellanos kind of pimped his home run on opening day, and then the the Cardinals were upset about it, and then Castellanos scored, and the pitcher was covering home, and he just yelled and stared at the pitcher. Uh, it was a little bit, uh, a little bit too far, I thought. And then you'll never guess who got upset at Castellanos on the Cardinals, none other than Yadier Molina, who I think has probably sparked about maybe an average of like two point six fights per season over but, his career. But the real, the real question is: is that more than AJ Przinsky of the White Sox? No, it can't be. I think Przinsky's got to be got to be number one on that list. But of course, Molina always loves to um, loves to uh, spark the brew, haha, as Vince Scully <laughs> might say. <laughs> um, yes, he was he was always yeah. the best at calling those. Um, so just a little bit of a a little bit of a commotion there um, between the Cardinals and Reds this weekend but that's that's mostly what's been going on around baseball other than just great to have fans back and everyone I think is excited to have the beginning of a more normal baseball season yeah absolutely absolutely so before we head out today uh remind everybody what is today's trivia question today's trivia question was how many postseason appearances have the brewers made in their franchise history so what is your guess on that one today peter yeah you mentioned uh Three consecutive playoff appearances. Of course, we've got uh, 2011 as well, 2008, which makes it five. Uh, I'm not going to try to name years beyond that, of course, besides uh, some of the obvious ones. But I'm going to I'm going to throw out nine for my answer. That is incorrect. The correct answer would be seven. The Brewers huh. went from 80, 82 until uh, 2008 without making a postseason appearance. Uh, That's so right. That was a long 26-year drought that they had until CC Sabathia heroically uh, lifted them out of that drought. Um, Literally. Yes. And um, and they also made the playoffs in 81, and that was a strike-shortened year, so they made it to the division series uh, because they won, I think, the second half of the year in the AL East, and they lost in the first round in five games to the Yankees. Yeah, I did know of – I knew the, the, the three recent ones – of course, 08, 2011, and then I knew 81 and 82, but I, I uh, had too much optimism as a Brewers fan that, that I was missing some one or two other playoff years, kind of going between eight and nine. But uh, yeah, that's right. I did forget about the 28-year drought between 82 and 08 and how uh, just how that made 2008's wildcard birth uh, that much more exciting for Brewers fans. Twenty, I mean, that's a crazy long drought. Yeah. And yeah, certainly. Um, and also uh, one, sorry, one more extremely big change to the ballpark, but they, they have their penance now uh, of times that they made the playoffs under the press box and they added 2020 
NL wild card uh, champion because they had they earned a wild card spot um, in 2020 officially. Uh, they were an eight seed. So I mean, congratulations to the Brewers for finishing <laughs> below 500 in 2020. Um, I think the better the better pennant to put up. I saw this in a tweet uh, was um, 2021 Fox Sports Twitter poll champions. There was a, a big Twitter poll for who was the best MLB fan base, and the Brewers took home the crown for number one. That was very exciting. And actually, the grand prize is that the winner gets to put a billboard for their team in their rival city. So the Milwaukee now gets to choose if they want to put a billboard by Wrigley Field, by Bush Stadium, um, probably not Target Field, but one of their rivals. And uh, hopefully we can get that going soon because that's pretty exciting to uh, put a big Christian Yelich banner or actually – You'd have to put Ryan Braun if you're going to go to Wrigley. Uh, you'd have to put a Ryan Braun billboard up. I uh, can't imagine how how annoyed Cubs fans might be about that. Yeah, absolutely. And, of course, our first year here without Braun since uh, a long time since we can really remember. I even actually was kind of a, a final tangent here before we go. I was on hold with the Brewers ticket office last week. And uh, you know how they have old calls from, you know, mainly Bob Uecker, but some other um, former uh, Brewers radio and TV uh, or radio announcers. And I noticed that they had uh, some some more like bigger calls over the last couple of years. And they still had some calls from Ryan Braun, which I thought was kind of interesting because, you know, once a player retires, you kind of remove his presence. You know, you're not going to see Ryan Braun banners or Ryan Braun t-shirts in the team store anymore until it becomes like a, a uh, whatever you want to call it, retro or retro type of thing or commemorative thing. But I did kind of think it was interesting that they kept the Ryan Braun audio recording on their on their hold. I don't know if they were just holding out some hope that he was going to return, but looks like at this point, obviously, with spring training coming to close, opening day starting, uh, that Ryan Braun really, for the most part, I think we can say that he has officially hung up the cleats and uh, looks like he will be done and retire as a brewer. Yeah. And also, sorry, I guess one more last quick tangent. But do you think there should be a drop third strike in baseball? There was, they were talking about it. Pitching Ninja brought it up because there was a drop third strike batter reached with Otani. Um, I know it was originally created like the infield fly rule because, um, like, with a runner, if there's runners on first or second, then you just purposely get the out then at, um, like, a double play. So let's say you have first and second and uh, one out, then it's a strikeout. Just purposely let the ball drop. And then you get it throw to third, throw a second, double play. Um, so that's why they they only do it when the first base is not occupied. But what about otherwise? Like just in general, like if you have a runner on second, um, they wanted to incentivize catching the ball. But I feel like we're kind of past that now, like 130 years after um, that was put in play. Um, I don't know. I I honestly would, would be in favor of just getting rid of the drop third strike altogether, um, especially as a, as a pitcher myself. But what are your just quick thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I I guess I at the end of the day, like you said, if you swing and miss on an O two count or two strike count, you you struck out. So I mean, I can definitely see the argument for you know removing the rule because, like you said, at the end of the day, you struck out, you you got out the batter, the pitcher got you. Uh, so why should you deserve to have a chance of getting on first after you struck out? I, I don't know. Like you said, it is kind of just an old rule that has stuck. I I probably am, would would fall under the indifference camp. Does it add or take away from the game? I don't think it does either. Um, would there be a case for either? I guess, but I, I'd probably fall in the indifference category on that. Um, 
maybe more towards removing it. I don't know. I don't know that it necessarily adds much to the game uh, besides adding a little bit of pressure on catchers in two strike situations or guys who, you know, bounce a lot of curveballs with two strikes, I guess. Yeah. Anyways, just, just kind of a, a final parting thought that I was uh, bringing up, but I think that'll wrap it up for today's podcast. We wandered around pretty much every topic that you could think of. Yes. We went from uh, the Brewers twin series to Bernie's slide color to the racing sausages uh, on the, running on the bridge to drop third strikes. Brooks Kieschnick. Uh Today was a very eventful podcast and um, I enjoyed it. It was, I felt like it was kind of more of a rant than anything else. Pretty much just a conversation. I mean, it, it we more, basically yeah. just turned on the phone and, uh, throughout the uh, podcast microphones for, for this week's episode. And uh, yeah, I mean, with that, uh, Brewers, again, falling two out of three to the Twins in opening weekend, uh, have kind of a pretty important month. Uh, three games set against the Cubs, followed by three games against Cardinals, then three games against the Cubs. Uh, later in the month, playing the Padres, as well as the Dodgers, and another three-game set with the Cubs. So nine games against the Cubs here in April, uh, three against the Cardinals, and then they've got the Padres and Dodgers this month as well. So a pretty important month uh, as far as the month of April goes and uh, excited to cover it here. David, your final thoughts before we head out? I'm just excited for the upcoming week or two. Hopefully the offense is able to pick it up a little bit. I don't really mean to make a big deal out of a, a one-series slump that the offense is kind of having. Um, but hopefully the offense can perform a little bit better over the next week. And it is important to take care of some of your divisional opponents, especially the Cubs now. They're a team that you really should beat, but probably still have a chip on their shoulder after uh, we beat them in game 163 in 2018. Uh, so excited to watch that. And then Brewers Cardinals should be a two-team two, uh, two race at the top of the Central. And we'll be starting that out already on Thursday. So I'm really excited for that. And I'm really excited as Brewer season gets a little bit going more so now uh, looking in ahead at April, but uh, that'll wrap it up for today. Thanks for joining us. And as always check us out at Brewers podcast uh, and TikTok also, and then our blog at bleeding blue and yellow.wordpress.com. Uh, thanks for listening. We'd love if you would subscribe to our podcast, if you would rate or review our podcast um, or even donate on a uh, link in the show notes, you can donate to our podcast and we'd really appreciate it for the work uh, that we do. And we enjoy this and we're glad to keep you covered with all your Brewers news. And thanks again for listening. And as always, go Brewers. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast. We would greatly appreciate if you would rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. We'd also love if you would be willing to support our podcast financially. And you can find the link to do that down below in the episode notes through the Anchor app. Be sure to check out our blog at bleedingblueandyellow.wordpress.com where you can find great articles and content there and interact with us at Brewers Podcast on Twitter or Instagram. Thanks for listening and see you next week.